Now for Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Good morning. Welcome to Raising the Bar, Richmond's uh, Law Talk radio show. This is Colleen Quinn. I'm an attorney with Locke and Quinn. We are conveniently located at the Willow Lawn Shopping Center, uh, where there's a plethora of good things to eat. So you can come get your beefy burrito at the Chipotle and your chicken salad now at the Chick-fil-A right near our office, along with uh, your legal services. So today we are going to talk about the myths and mysteries of hiring an attorney. What is free? What is not? How does it all work? Um, It can be extremely confusing at times for folks when they do need to hire a lawyer, understanding uh, what is um, going to cost them and what might be uh, a little more affordable for them. But before we do that, remember that uh, Raising the Bar Law Talk radio show brings an exciting and varied array of legal topics to listeners throughout Central Virginia, and especially in the greater Richmond area, every Wednesday at 9 a.m. The one-hour show features true life stories and cases, legal tips, and information from experts and specialists. You can view all of the videos from Raising the Bar, Law Talk Radio Show, on the Locke and Quinn Facebook page. They're archived there, and we are now also getting them up on the Raising the Bar Law Talk page, which is www.raisingthebarlawtalk.com. We're also getting them posted to YouTube, and also the broadcast, the podcast will be on iTunes. So lots of different ways that you can learn about various areas of the law. In the past, we featured employment law, workers' compensation, personal injury, Um, gestational carriers, adoption, lots of different issues, lots of different areas of the law. So please do feel free to take a look at those um, pre-recorded programs um, and learn a little bit more about those areas of the law in which you might be interested. And if you have any questions today, make sure that you call us at 804-454-1366. Again, 804-454-1366. We are here to answer your questions. And today is a very general program talking about all the different ways in which lawyers might be needed by a person over the course of their life. And joining me today is my associate, Katie Kitstein. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Colleen. Great. So um, we're going to uh, talk about the different times that someone might need an attorney. Um, And it's pretty amazing how the law touches so many different areas of folks' lives. And then also how access to legal services can be a little bit confusing and also rather um, expensive for folks. Uh, The different areas of the law that sometimes folks might meet if they're injured on the job, they might have a worker's comp claim. If you buy a house, you might have to do a real estate closing. If you unfortunately are involved in a divorce or custody or child or spouse support matter, you're going to need a family law attorney. If you get a traffic ticket, you might need to have a criminal defense attorney. If, if it's worse than that, you get a DUI, you definitely need a criminal defense attorney. Um, some folks run into buying a defective automobile, and that's called lemon law. And some folks will run into some consumer uh, law or some uh, uh, credit fraud issues. 
Of course, everybody uh, that works is employed and at some point might need an employment lawyer or have an employment question. If you're injured in an accident, you might need a personal injury lawyer. If you want to set up a small business um, or LLC, you've got to talk to a corporate lawyer. And um, if you're unfortunately injured uh, by a medical malpractice or even just a a small salon and spa type injury, uh, you might need to talk to a personal injury lawyer. Um, And then, of course, at uh, my firm, we also practice adoption and surrogacy, which is a way of family building. So folks that are looking to family build oftentimes will will need an attorney. And so, of course, it can be awfully confusing sometimes as to in which of those cases do you need to pull out your wallet? (laughs) And in which of those cases um, can you keep your wallet in your pocket and uh, hope that the attorney is going to get somehow get paid uh, through the process. Right. So, Colleen, if I just have a quick legal question, can I just call a law firm and get it answered? I wish it were that simple. And most folks think it, think it is that simple. The problem is, is that um, lawyers are bound by all of these ethical rules and the rules have gotten more complicated over the last couple of decades. And so it, it used to be like 20 years ago, somebody could just call a law firm and say, hey, what's the statute of limitations on my personal injury claim? A pretty general question. But now there have been so many cases against lawyers um, and claims brought that lawyers have gotten a little more cautious about just generally answering any questions out of the blue because if they don't have all the details and they don't have all the information um, and they just give a general answer, then that general answer um, might have a twist to it. There might be an exception to the rule that because they didn't get all the information they didn't know about. But um, so the best, best thing to do if you have a general legal question is to Google the issue generally online and just ask the question online. And a, a lot of law firms have some really good websites and web pages out there that give general information about that particular issue. The Lock and Quinn website, as you know, Katie, because you've worked on a lot of the stuff we've put up there, um, especially if you go to the employment section, there's a lot of good information on understanding uh, discrimination and harassment claims, um, on what happens if you're given a, a severance package. And so the best thing to do is to first just find a reliable resource online to get general information information um, about that particular um, issue. And of course, the difficulty of if you just call our office, Katie, and you have a general question is that lawyers now have to run conflict checks. Um, And you're very familiar with running those conflict checks. And the reason you have to run the conflict check is because you might have represented somebody on the other side and you get yourself in deep (laughs) doo-doo if you answer a question from somebody that you ought not to be giving an answer to. Um, So by way of example, uh, let's say you called our office and you had an employment question because you had just been fired by your employer, Mm -hmm. but somebody at our law firm had represented that same employer. Well, we would be in trouble if we then tried to answer your question because that would be a a conflict of interest. And sometimes folks don't think about it, but let's say you have um, a a civil rights claim. Somebody has a civil rights claim against a police officer. They feel like they were wrongfully arrested, and we get lots of those calls um, in our office. And so they call in and they have a civil rights claim and they want to talk to us right away, find out if they have a case. Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to find out 
who was the police officer? Because if we represented that police officer, or one of the other attorneys in the firm represented that police officer in his divorce or his mm-hmm. child custody matter, again, we would be in deep doo-doo if we started telling that guy that he had a civil rights claim against one of the clients we had previously represented. Right. You know, <laughs> So this is a, a kind of complex issue that a lot of times people, when they call it a law firm, they don't realize that we have to run these conflict checks before we can start to give out any advice or else we might get ourselves into a a state bar ethics um, complaint situation. Right. So if I want specific advice, I have to give my name and the names of the people or companies involved um, just from the get-go. Yes, that's that's correct because we have to know who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, Did we ever have a case adverse to you for some reason? And we have to know who the other people are that are involved or the companies that are involved in case that our law firm had represented or one of the lawyers had previously represented uh, one of the adverse parties or, or one of the, the folks, as we would say, on the other side of the, of the coin. Mm-hmm. So what's that process of, of running the conflict check? What does that involve? Well, a lot of firms have, like Locke & Quinn does, we have a, a PC law system or you have some sort of a client billing, client accountability system. And so um, in our PC law system, even if it's a, a, a pro bono case um, or a nonprofit type case, we input every single client um, into our system so that we can easily run a conflict check with regard to that client and also generally the the adverse party if there's an adverse party on the other side. Um, then also we do a backup to that where we essentially we send in an email to everybody in the law firm uh, asking, does anybody have any issue with us taking this particular case? And, and it could be somebody calls us for a medical malpractice claim against their OBGYN, and it could be that one of our staff uses that OBGYN. So it, it may not be that we necessarily represented that OBGYN before, right. um, but you can have uh, different types of conflicts. You can have actual conflicts. You can have um, just uh, uh, potential conflicts, and then you, you can have just... I don't want you to, I don't want my own law firm to sue my own OBGYN conflict (laughs) because I I would feel kind of creepy going to see that person. So I'll tell you a quick funny story. Um, My husband had to go um, for a vasectomy. Yes. And so uh, we, we, we go and of course I'm accompanying him and you have to have somebody to drive you home. And I, um, I'm sitting out in the waiting room. And the, the doctor comes out and he says, and this was when I worked for my old law firm, mm-hmm. Canner Arkema, and he says, you work for that law firm, Canner Arkema? And I said, well, yes, <laughs> yes, I do. And he goes, well, some son of a bee over there <laughs> has, has sued me twice. <laughs> I'm like, well, that wasn't me. <laughs> like, so, and I'm seeing the doctor get all worked up and I know he's going to go in there and, and snip my husband. So <laughs> this is kind of... And so, and fortunately, I I didn't I did not do any medical malpractice at that time in my career, and I I quickly um, moved over and and to the side and I said you know I I practice the adoption and surrogacy part of the practice right. um, even though I did do you know personal injury work but I had never had a case with that doctor and um, and so I immediately distanced myself from from the firm and from anybody at the firm that had had sued that doctor before. So that's what we call a practical conflict of interest. (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, he he settled down after that, and then the procedure went fine. But um, my husband, who was in the back room, told me that um, when he was asking uh, about me, his wife, and where I worked, etc., he immediately turned very red and <laughs> and was agitated and rushed out of the room. <laughs> put him at ease before That's the surgery. Right. <laughs> So um, after this conflict check has been run, um, then can I get advice for free? It depends. Um, it really depends. If it's a really simp- simple, easy question, um, like if somebody's, if we get the basic information on a case and mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to determine that their statute of limitations has run, mm-hmm. then we will readily say, look at um we don't, this does not appear to be something we can handle because based on the information received, it looks like the statute of limitation has run on, on your case. Mm-hmm. So um, there there can be some cases in which there might be an easy, simple way of giving advice. Or I'm even telling, I'm even directing people, we got a, a, a inquiry the other day about um, uh, sexual harassment. And I said, look at, go watch the video we did on, you know, the myths of employment law claims, which is a good segment on sexual harassment. Um, and then I've had clients to, uh, you know, ask about certain um, issues with brain injury. And I'll say, look, at, go to our brain injury page and now also go to the video on brain injuries because that will give you a lot of readily reliable information mm-hmm. in that particular area. Um, so it it's tough for lawyers to give out just a quick, simple answer mm-hmm. um, because there are so many complexities of the law that a lot of times you want to get a lot more information about the situation before you give an answer because you want to make sure you give the right answer. You know, it's when you give the wrong answer that you, you can get yourself in trouble. And so um, because of the cases out there against lawyers, lawyers have gotten a lot more cautious about uh, giving out answers in situations without spending a lot of time with the client and getting a lot more information and making sure the answer is going to be right. Mm-hmm. So when I call into a law firm, how do I know if I'm going to have to pay the lawyer or not? That's a great question because it really depends on the type of the case. And sometimes it also depends on on the type of lawyer um, because some more experienced lawyers um, may not be willing to give a free 15-minute consultation or half-hour consultation, whereas some younger lawyers that are, are trying to get, you know, more business might be willing to give that free consultation. And so there are uh, so many case types of cases out there, and we're going to kind of walk through them um, one by one so that folks have a better understanding of what cases typically might be done on what we call a contingency basis mm-hmm. versus what is typically done on an hourly basis. And if you look at hourly rates for lawyers in the Richmond area, um, you're generally looking at anywhere from about 150 an hour on up to, you know, 850 an hour at the larger law firms for more complicated types of, of cases. So, um, uh, being able to and afford a lawyer is indeed a, a, a difficult issue. And then we also have um, a lot of lawyers have gone to flat rates. Mm-hmm. So that's um, flat rates are in cases that you pretty much have a good idea of what work is going to be expected. So for example, all of our um, 
simple adoption cases, an agency finalization, a relative adoption, a step-parent adoption. Um, we can do those at a flat rate unless a hearing is involved and then we have to go to an hourly rate to go to the hearing. That's just by way of example on flat rate cases. Um, some lawyers actually are now doing setting up LLCs, um, you know, small corporations for a specific flat rate. A lot of bankruptcy attorneys will do a flat rate uh, to file a, a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Um, in our surrogacy cases, we can charge a flat rate for drafting a surrogacy contract, an egg donor agreement, a sperm donor agreement, an embryo donor agreement, that sort of thing. And the same thing with a lot of lawyers that do contractual type work. Um, they can do a real estate contract um, at certain flat rates. A lot of the, you know, we do estate planning um, and estate uh, planning lawyers typically also can do a lot of things at, at flat rates. And clients really like flat rates because you know you, you know what the bill's going to be know what getting, right? <laughs> exactly. You know you know you, you know what you're going to get. The, the the hard thing for flat rates with attorneys is if the job goes beyond what they originally envisioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's you know that that's the downside of a flat rate. In some cases, you'll charge a flat rate and you might not have to do quite as much work as you envisioned, so it all balances out. Um, but a lot of lawyers have started to try to go to flat rates mm-hmm. so that um, they can. Um, the clients can better under have a have a better feel for exactly what they're going to to pay. So um, I, I think let's kind of talk a little bit further, and as we go through the program, we'll kind of talk a little bit more about what types of cases might lend themselves to a contingency versus which ones are you going to have to pull your wallet out on. Right. So okay, let's let's start there. What what does it mean for a lawyer to take a case on a contingency or, or to get paid on a contingency? And and that's a, a great mystery as well that even that term contingency, what does that mean? Um, so it's simple it may, basically means that whether the lawyer gets paid is contingent on whether the lawyer is able to get a recovery for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's basically what a contingency fee means. And it only applies to the fee, that is the lawyer's time. And this, again, is an area that gets confusing. Um, it does not apply to the advance cost. So if a lawyer has to pull money out of their pocket to pay a filing fee or something like that, that is not on a contingency. That is what we call an advanced cost. And so um, on a contingency fee that applies just to the time spent, mm-hmm. not the money that the attorney might take out of his or her own pocket in order to advance costs on behalf of the client. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if I was in an accident, um, but I, I wasn't injured, and um, I'm more concerned about getting my car properly repaired or getting the full value of my car, um, is that something I would need to pay a lawyer for, or would there be a contingency fee for that? How, how would that work? Um, and that's another question we often get asked. <laughs> so when lawyers take personal injury cases on a contingency basis, it's because there's an injury and they'll be able to get um, some recovery for that personal injury. However, in in auto cases, there is not going to be a personal injury recovery if it's only a property damage claim. So if it's just simply a property damage claim, then there is no way for that lawyer to get paid mm-hmm. because the anything that's going to be paid is going to be to pay the value of the car 
on behalf of the client or anything that was lost in the car. There might be things that were, you know, lost in the accident, et cetera, mm -hmm. that were of value, especially when you're talking about larger trucks and, um, and vehicles with equipment on them. But any of that amount is going to go to replace the property. There's no, there's no um, amount there for the attorney to get a a slice of, to get right. a piece of that cut, you know? And so uh, typically when we handle personal injury cases, we will handle any of the property stuff as a courtesy because we're handling the personal injury case. But if it's only a property case, then usually you're going to have to expect to, to pay a lawyer um, on an hourly basis just to give you advice as to whether you know, it's a good claim or it's not a good claim or whatever. And sometimes we'll just, we'll spend five minutes and say, hey, did you, did you make sure you checked the Kelly Blue Book? Did you, you know, right. did you go online? Did you check with CarMax? Did you do the other things um, to make sure it was the right amount? But honestly, if you're going to need to get me involved in negotiating a property claim, I'm going to have to charge for my time on that, you know, because right. I mean, lawyers have employees to pay and mouths to feed. <laughs> Likes to keep on. That's right. And, and and younger lawyers have large law school loans to pay. Yeah. Um, so what about another type of case? If I, for example, buy a car and it's defective? So that's what we call the area of lemon law. Mm -hmm. um, and in some areas of the law, the lawyer can actually get a recovery as part of the case. So... In a personal injury case, um, we can't claim attorney fees mm -hmm. separately. So usually in a personal injury case, most lawyers will take an auto accident case on what we call a, a one-third or 33 and one-third percent recovery. Mm -hmm. Now that can change as you get closer to trial. A lot of lawyers, um, like we do, once you get into within 90 days of trial, might bump up to 40%. Mm -hmm. And then like on um, premises liability but, uh, cases where if somebody's injured on somebody's property or med mal cases, um, the lawyer will typically uh, do those at about 40% of a contingency basis. Um, but in other areas of the law, like workers' compensation and uh, lemon law, the lawyer, and, and in also in employment law cases, the lawyer actually can make a separate claim for attorney fees. And so there are those areas of the law where the lawyer might agree and say, um, yeah, you know, you, you were really sold a, a, a fraudulent uh, bag of goods in this defective vehicle. And, um, and there's uh, one uh, guy in particular in Virginia, John Gale, that specializes in lemon law, and he's gotten some uh, pretty good attorney fee recoveries mm -hmm. on, on some of his cases. So in those cases, the lawyer might say, um, look at... We're doing this on a, a contingency basis, but it's a little bit different because um, we're capable of of actually being able to ask for attorney fees as part of the award right. in the case. Right, which helps protect people because then they're not so worried about having to pay a lawyer to bring these, right. these claims for... Yeah, because if, if you've already, you know, been sold a, a, a bad vehicle... You're, you're already out of pocket there, and now you got to go shell out money to an attorney to, to better protect you on having been sold that, that bad vehicle. Right. Um, and so um, the, also fair credit reporting cases. Um, the attorney can get attorney fees in those types of cases as well. So in those, um, um, another area is, is Social Security disability cases where the lawyer um, can get paid out of um, the Social Security. So uh, it's 
it's, I think what we need to do on our website is actually start to make a list of these in addition to all the pro bono and, and reduced fee services that we've listed mm-hmm. there. So we'll be right back after the break. And today we're talking about the myths and mysteries of hiring a lawyer. Call us at 804-454-1366. This is Raising the Bar, the Law Talk radio show, and we'll be right back. You've been listening to Raising the Bar, Greater Richmond's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Now, back to Raising the Bar. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. We are back at Raising the Bar, the Law Talk radio show. This is attorney Colleen Quinn of Lock and Quinn. And joining me today is um, my associate attorney, Katie Kitts Dean, and we are talking about the myths and mysteries of hiring an attorney. And when do you have to pull out your wallet? And when can you leave your wallet in your pocket? So, um, if you are uh, contemplating needing a lawyer and you have a question for us today, we'll still be on the air until 10 o'clock. And the number is 804 454 1366. And we'll let you know if the type of case you have is one where you're going to have to pull out your pocketbook or not. Mm-hmm. All right. So jumping back into the, the different types of cases, we just finished talking about uh, lemon law cases. Um, how about a medical negligence case or a, a legal negligence case? Typically, those will be done on contingency. The problem is is that um, having a valid case is really, really hard to find. Um, I mean, you might screen one in 50, one in 100 cases before a lawyer will will find that there's a case that they think is valid enough to take on a contingency basis. Um, So they oftentimes don't have merit, most of the cases that are out there. Um, But most lawyers will at least screen the case for you and let you know that it's not a case that they can take. Right. Yeah. But if a lawyer is getting paid on contingency, they want to make sure that there's a... That they're going to get a recovery. Exactly. (laughs) You want to know you're going to get paid for your time. Got some skin in the game too, right? So, yeah. Um, So what if I have an issue with my employer, which I, of course, do not. (laughs) Well, thank goodness. Thank you, Katie. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, so like MedMal, employment cases also are really tough to Mm -hmm. prove. And as you know, we screen a lot of employment cases. And I would say easily um, we would only take one out of 50 on a contingency basis. Mm -hmm. And all of the others um, have to be on an hourly consultation basis. Um, And usually people will meet for an hour and will explain to them, you know, what their options are. Is it worthwhile to do a demand letter to the employer? Um, That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, those cases are really tough to find one that has valid, that is valid. Yeah. Um, so what would the lawyer's fee be if there was a valid med mal or em- employment case? Um, usually it's at about 40%. Now, in some cases, it might be 50%. So the lawyer might adjust a little bit if, mm-hmm. if the case is not as strong as they would like. Okay. 
Um, and you mentioned earlier um, advanced costs. Can you explain a little bit more what, what advanced costs are? Yeah, so um, advanced costs are when the lawyer actually has to pull money out of their pocket to move the case forward. And so it looks like um, we've got a caller on the line. And so I'll just explain about Jack, uh, advanced costs and then take a call from Jack. So uh, when you take on a case, typically... Um, you're going to have to uh, have copying charges and postage car- charges. And if you're gathering medical records, you've got to pay you know, the providers for the cost of gathering the medical records. And then eventually at some point, you might have to pay a lawsuit filing fee. Um, and then you might get into depositions where you have to pay court reporters. And then you might get into where you have to actually pay for expert witnesses. And so in a lot of good cases, good personal injury, good med mal cases, Um, good employment cases, the lawyer will go ahead and advance those costs. But under our ethics rules, the lawyer cannot be ultimately responsible for those costs. Mm -hmm. So if the lawyer loses, um, they don't get paid their contingency fee. They're out of their time. But under the ethics rules, um, the uh, rule 1.8 of our rules of professional conduct say that a lawyer may advance court costs and expenses of litigation provided the client remains ultimately liable for such costs and expenses. So in some cases, the lawyer might say, hey, I'll I'll put in my time Mm -hmm. for free on contingency, but you're going to need to advance the costs um, or we're going to share the advance costs. Um, But that becomes a tricky area um, because folks don't realize that they ultimately have to be responsible under the ethical rules for the advance costs. So Jack, um, you're on the line and you've got a question for us. Thank you you for calling in. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate it too. I'm glad I got a chance to hear your radio station uh, or your broadcast. I guess without going into a lot of detail, because I know you had mentioned about detail and then without a lot of rambling about the case. <laughs> I'm going to have to run um, a conflict check on you, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tell you. But I appreciate people like yourself. I think I can't say enough about that. But um, my case is I was in a rural area going to, briefly going to pick my wife up from a cookout. And I was in Powhatan, a rural area on back roads lost. And I was pulled by the state police, uh, lost, pulled by the state police, and received a a ticket for not having my license. Okay. Which was fine because I got a Class A CDL permit with a plus five on my Class A. So I won't worry about that. Uh, but I got into an argument with the police, and I ended up with a reckless driving ticket. All right, that's the case. Ouch. I got a lawyer. Yeah. I got a lawyer, and the lawyer appears to know exactly what's going on. He's familiar with that courthouse out Powhatan, and he's familiar with the people. But I, my question to you is that um, based on the simple fact of what happened, feel like I was unjustly gave the ticket because I got into an argument. Um, in the event that that case goes sideways, what is it? Do I have any kind of rebuttal appeal to if the case doesn't be thrown out of court? Because I'm expecting the case to be thrown out based on the circumstances, but 
it's, you never know when you go in and what you, happens. You just don't know, yeah. Um, you, you really don't yeah. know, you know what I mean? So your your best um, advocate is going to be your, your lawyer, your criminal defense lawyer that you've hired. Um, I do not do criminal defense law, but I do have the experience of having gotten a reckless driving ticket, so I sympathize <laughs> with you immensely. Right. Um, and uh, the one thing is, is uh, I, it I doesn't... It doesn't rise to the level of a of a civil rights type claim because um, it, it's 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 not like the the police officer beat you up or anything. It's unfortunate, you know that um, that you got into an argument, um, but you're going to pretty much have to rely on your criminal defense lawyer to cut the best deal for you. And I don't know, are you in the general district court? Or are you in the circuit court right now? Do you know? Well, the case was prolonged, and I'm supposed to go to the end of this month to settle this case, which, you know, it's been just, it's been like three months ago. Yeah. But, but you know, I don't, I, I just, I don't know if it's in, you know, what, what, what um, branch of the government who's going to hear the case. I don't know. Well, there's usually the traffic tickets for reckless driving start in general district court. Um, right. And, you know, when I got my f- reckless driving ticket in general district court, um, it was when the Route 288 had just opened, you know, and um, that was a, a, a pretty nice new highway and I was going downhill. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> and, you know, exactly. And right. um, what's interesting enough is, you know, I, I went in front of the first general court judge. I, I did not have a, a lawyer. And as a lawyer, that was kind of dumb to not have my own lawyer. But, um, you know, I, I went in and the, the judge said to me, he says, now, Miss Quinn, Miss Quinn, this is reckless driving and I could take my, your license away from you. And um, he said, but today is your lucky day. Today is your lucky day because... Right. I'm going to revoke your, I'm going to suspend your license for six months. And I looked at him like, that can't be my lucky day. And then he said, but it's your lucky day because I'm going to suspend the suspension and just charge exactly. me the I fine. Yeah. Right. But what happens is, is then your points go up on your, um, on your insurance. So a bunch of my colleagues ran up because I don't do criminal defense work. And like I said, you need to rely upon your own criminal defense attorney who knows that court and knows that area of the law. Uh, but a bunch of my friends ran up and they said, you need to go to driving school and you need to appeal this to circuit court. Well, the circuit court judge, he basically um, found out I went to driving school, found out I had just bought a new car. It, it went faster than my old car, which would fall apart. And right. the and the judge on the circuit court level um, reduced it to driving with defective equipment. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of illustrates the crazy different outcomes you can get. Um, but I would definitely count on your attorney to give you the best advice because that attorney works in that court system, knows those judges, and is going to know the best deal to cut for you. And see, that's the part that I really, I'm not, I just don't want no deal because I just totally feel like I was innocent. You know what I mean? And being that, you know, the respect level was disrespect on his part, my part, of all parties involved, which was myself and himself, he had the upper hand in being able to write that ticket the way that he wanted to write it and do what he wanted to do. And I was pretty much at his mercy. But if I would have known what I know now, everything is a learning experience. Sometimes it, is it, it costs. Sometimes it costs. Sometimes it don't cost. That's right. But and- um, I definitely, I definitely learned something when it get pulled by the police. You know, but based on that previous getting pulled, that that class A plus five, I just knew that he was going to respect that. You know what I mean? But he had no respect for my position of being a professional 
so-called professional driver, a commercial driver, you know, driving heavy equipment, moving big tractor and trailers or whatever the case may be, and ended up with a ticket because of a disagreement. You know, and that's really tough sometimes, wanted, but, um, you know, police officers, they do have the upper hand, and that's right. the way our society works. And so, right. um, you know, I would just, again, uh, Jack, uh, say that you've you've just got to kind of follow the advice of your attorney and okay. um, count on him for that. And the good thing is, is that you are smart enough to have gotten an attorney, um, unlike when, when I first went in. So um, yeah. well done yeah. in that regard. And um, yes, I really appreciate you calling into the show today. And I wish you the best of luck. I, I do hope your case gets thrown out. Thank right. you. And like I say, I don't have no appeal at all if it doesn't go the way I wanted to go. I don't know because you, um, I don't know which court you're in. If you're in general district court, you'll have an automatic right of appeal to circuit court. But talk to your attorney about that. And um, thank you so much for calling into the show. All right. Um, great call from Jack. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, those types of cases where the attorney might get paid um, out of some sort of recovery. Right. So um, is there ever a case um, where uh, a lawyer can get an award by the court in certain cases? Yes, actually. Um, you know, we talked about um, getting attorney fees mm-hmm. in workers' comp cases and other cases. But another one that I failed to uh, mention was in some uh, family law spouse mm-hmm. uh, spouse support and, and child support um, type cases. The uh judge has the ability to make an award of attorney fees. And this is really, really important when you have one spouse that's been the working spouse and holds all the money Mm -hmm. and the other spouse uh, doesn't work or especially is at home with the kids. And so uh, it's important to have that sort of award out there so that the disadvantaged spouse can get an attorney. Now, sometimes that might need to be a younger attorney, um, you know, who who's willing to take that case without getting paid until the end of the case mm-hmm. via an attorney fee award. Um, whereas your more experienced attorneys can afford to turn down that case and say, no, I'm only going to take the case on the paying basis. Mm-hmm. So um, the other way that sometimes attorneys can get paid is um, with uh, an award of sanctions. Mm-hmm. And so in some um, family law cases, the, the court can award like back support, they can award attorney fees, but sometimes they can award attorney fees as part of a combination of sanctions. So if you have a case where uh, one side is just trying to drive the other side into the ground, then the court has the discretion to make um, a, a, a sanctions type of award. Um, but again, you know, it, it's hard for lawyers to take on a lot of cases where they know they're not going to get paid until the end because, you know, we've got to pay our staff and keep the right. lights on and all that too, you know. Exactly. So if I just, I, I can't afford an attorney, I don't have the type of case that's going to qualify me for, you know, a contingency or something like that, um, what what do I do if, if I need legal help and I just can't afford it? Right. So we have compiled on the Raising the Bar Law Talk radio show um, website. So that's at www.raisingthebarlawtalk.com an excellent list of all the pro bono and legal aid resources and reduced aid resources that are out there. I was actually amazed at some of the resources that are out there. Now, a lot of folks are familiar with Legal Aid and Virginia Poverty Law Center, and you have to really be um, at the poverty line or below to qualify. But there are a lot of other um, statewide resources out there. For example, there's the Community Tax 
project Mm -hmm. for low-wage families that have tax problems. Uh, you worked at the Disability I did, yeah. Law they were Center. On the radio show, too. Yes, and they did the radio show. And so there's a whole program on what the Disability Law Center of Virginia does. Um, there's the Drive to Work program, which assists qualified low income and previously incarcerated persons to restore their driving privileges. Mm-hmm. There's the Hogar Immigrants, Immigrant Service program that helps um, provide immigrant legal advice at reduced rates. Legal Information Network for Cancer, mm-hmm. for cancer. Um, uh, uh, victims or, or survivors or folks that have just been recently diagnosed. Um, the Women's Bar puts out a domestic relations pamphlet, which is an excellent resource mm-hmm. um, for providing a lot of advice on uh, family law, domestic abuse, um, protective orders. There is the um, uh, uh, Virginia Bar Association Veterans Issues Task Force, which has sprung up. So veterans now have more uh, resources. VirginiaFreeLegalAnswers.org is a great website where low and modest income uh, uh, folks can pose a civil law question and get a free email answer. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those places where you can, you know, rather than Googling it online, kind of send in and get a general answer. Um, there's also a Virginia Judicial System self-help website, which provides similar type advice. And, um, of course, if uh, if you're willing to take on generally a, a younger lawyer, but but still get low cost services, the Virginia Lawyer Referral Service um, provides a 35 minute free phone consultation or in person consultation with the whole um, network of lawyers throughout Virginia. Actually, I when I first got started. Um, that was one of the things I did because I wanted to build my practice. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that 30 to 35 minute um, free consult would turn into additional work right. that was needed. And then you would have already, you know, met the client. The client learned that they liked you. And so you had that rapport, et cetera. Um, and so if you go on our website, you'll see that there are the additional resources of the Virginia Military and Veteran Legal Resource Guide. Um, and then, of course, there are the Virginia Poverty Law Center, Virginia State Bar Pro Bono Access to Legal Services, the um, Virginia Law Help to Go, and Virginia Legal Aid. And those are all statewide services. And then we've also listed out the services in particular areas, uh, such as in Northern Virginia, Central Virginia, Eastern Virginia, and then also in uh, Western Virginia. Um, So that uh, compilation of different resources is something I've wanted to do for quite some time now Mm -hmm. because we do get a lot of folks call into our law firm and we just you know, aren't able to take that case and want to be able to put them in good hands or right. send, tell them where they might be able to go um, and get either free or, or lower cost legal services. Right. So what areas of the law typically are not free? So the areas that are typically not free are going to be those areas where, for example, you want to set up a, um, a corporation or an mm-hmm. LLC or you're doing a real estate closing. Um, or you've got, we, we mentioned in most employment cases, you're going to have to pay for somebody. Intellectual property cases, if you want to copyright or you want to trademark something. Um, the areas of the law that tend to be more business-oriented, mm-hmm. um, doing a merger or acquisition, securities law, um, purchasing commercial property, um, environmental um, compliance. Mm-hmm. So in those areas that tend to be more uh, corporate or business-based, you're going to pretty much have to plan on paying an attorney. Right. Um, one uh, 
area that is kind of a conundrum is is the criminal area because mm-hmm. you, you know you you hear uh, um, you know whenever when anyone's read their Miranda rights right. you know every cop show ever <laughs> every cop show ever you know and if you can't afford an attorney one will be appointed for you so uh, there uh, are certain times when um, if it's a criminal case and you can't afford the attorney then the court will appoint one. But in many, many criminal cases, the person can afford an attorney. And so, again, that would be an area where somebody would have to expect to pay their attorney Mm -hmm. on an hourly basis unless they qualified for the court-appointed one. So are there any other non-criminal cases where someone might get um, a court-appointed attorney for free? Yes. um, That's a great question, too. So um, in cases where somebody is losing their children, mm-hmm. you know, an, a case where Department of Social Services has removed the child from the home for new abuse, neglect, um, or, or uh, something similar, abandonment, then uh, that is what we call an involuntary termination case. Mm-hmm. And typically the court will appoint an attorney um, in those cases, unless they decide that they have the income and ability to hire their own private attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, but so usually the court looks at, um, do you have a fundamental constitutional right? Like, are you going to lose your right to freedom because of a criminal claim? Mm-hmm. Are you going to lose your right to parent, lose your right to your child, mm-hmm. um, you know, because the child's been taken from you? And then if you um, don't have the ability to hire your own attorney, then the court looks and says, those are cases where we're going to go ahead and appoint an attorney for you. Um, the other cases also are where somebody needs a guardian. So if it's a case that involves a child under age of 18, mm-hmm. oftentimes the court will appoint a guardian. Um, if it's somebody that's uh, incompetent or um, has mental or emotional deficiencies, um, they are in and out of in- mental institutions, the court might appoint a guardian mm-hmm. for them in those cases as well. And um, and that would be an attorney that the court... Right. And so, yeah, the guardian is a guardian ad litem or a guardian, and that, and that would be a, a, a licensed mm-hmm. attorney that's appointed by the court. Um, and then what's interesting, too, is that, because you, you know this from the cases we've handled, is that if you bring a case against an incarcerated felon... Mm-hmm. Um, for example, you're uh, doing a step-parent adoption against one or you're uh, proceeding um, against them on a personal injury case for, for whatever reason. They, they won't have any money, but right. you know, it, might be, <laughs> it might be that, that um, there's uh, some sort of insurance that you're going after. Um, then typically uh, that is considered under a disability and the court has to appoint a, a guardian ad litem for a, an incarcerated felon if there's proceedings being brought against them. Okay, but not if they're the one bringing the proceedings. But not if they're the one, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, you don't get a free attorney that way. Okay. <laughs> um, so if, if I do need a lawyer and we figured out how the lawyer is going to be paid, um, am I going to have to put something in writing or sign an agreement saying how they're going to be paid? Typically, yes. And that's called a, a fee agreement or a retainer agreement. And um, as I mentioned earlier on in the show, a lot of lawyers are getting especially skittish, you know, about getting sued by their own clients. Um, or I, in one case, I um, actually... Um, had the client uh, uh, attempt to fire their attorney and and settle out. I was on the other side of the case, but fire their attorney and settle out and cut the attorney out of the picture. Right. You know, so so attorneys have gotten a little bit more skittish about that. And then also our legal malpractice carriers have started to require us to put things in our retainer agreements, including um, how long we're going to keep your file and um, when you can terminate the representation or when we can terminate the representation. And if there's, uh, for representing a married couple, 
example, we have to put in conflict of interest information. Mm -hmm. So the retainer agreements have gotten a lot um, more extensive, um, but you typically will be required to sign some sort of agreement with your attorney if you hire one. Okay. So beyond this retainer agreement, how are lawyers supposed to communicate with their clients? And, and that's a great question because a lot of lawyers um, get in trouble because they don't do a good job of communicating. So we always ask our client, how do you want to communicate when they come in? Is it by text or by email or by phone? Or And everything that goes out of our office, we copy the client on. So I always say, you know, we're not sitting around eating bonbons. We're actually working on your case. And so you're going to get a copy of, of everything that goes out. And uh, keeping in constant communication with the client is just critical. And it's, it's something that results in a lot of bar complaints because um, it's one of the things that lawyers need to do better a- across the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so how about the flip side of that? Do you ever have uh, problems with clients not responding to you? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. We've actually um, had to send, you know, folks out to our client's house, mm-hmm. send a, like a, a process server out to make sure that, you know, they're getting our correspondence. Um, some, in some cases, you actually lose the client. You know, they move and they don't let you know where <laughs> they are. <laughs> so, you know, so um, we do have those situations where our clients suddenly go in some deep big hole somewhere and we don't we don't know where they are and we keep sending them letters and then certified letters and then eventually have to send somebody out to the house or we have to contact a relative or somebody and find out you know what what where the heck go? is going on <laughs> exactly so there is the flip side is that of that too um and so how do lawyers typically bill and this might be a reason why you want to stay in touch with your client right 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 yeah because you want to get paid right. <laughs> so um usually if it's if it's like a most Paying cases, the lawyer will get a retainer up front. Mm-hmm. So they're going to get an amount up front. If it's the flat fee, they're going to get the flat fee up front, or they're going to get half of the flat fee, do half the work, and then get the rest of the flat fee up front. And um, so if it's a, an hourly type case or a flat fee type case, or sometimes there might be a hourly with uh, with the contingent piece type case, the lawyer's going to get their money up front, or they're going to get a good chunk of their money up front. And then they're going to send a monthly bill out showing what work has been done against that Mm -hmm. amount. Um, If it's on a contingency basis, it could be very different because most lawyers will want to show their clients at least what the advance costs are that they've been, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, paying on their behalf. So typically most good lawyers um, will uh, send out the bill on a monthly basis on the contingency cases too. Um, not with the time, but just basically saying this: these are the advance costs that you're ultimately responsible for, and we just wanted you to know. And then some lawyers will actually have a deal with the client that we're not going to advance more than 500 or 1,000 in advance costs without sitting down and talking about it. And that's only fair to the client because they're ultimately responsible. Right. Don't want to blindside them. Right. I mean, they hope you get paid out of the, the recovery eventually, but right. but if if you don't, you know, then ultimately under the ethical rules, it's it's their responsibility. Right. Um, so I guess before we we wrap up, this is a question I know we we get a lot. Who owns a client file? Yeah. Case? Um, and that's a great question as we close out our show today. So uh, typically, all original documents are owned by the client. Mm-hmm. And you do have a duty to provide the client with copies of anything um, that was done, any uh, pleadings, any 
critical work, Mm -hmm. um, any important documents that were done. You don't have the duty to provide them with like any internal memos or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You do need to provide them with their bill and any billing. And of course, you want to do that. Um, And it gets a little bit more complex, but that's kind of the general um, rule on on the client files. So we really appreciate you joining us today for the Raising the Bar Law Talk radio show. Please join us again next week on Wednesday at 9 a.m. as we address another scintillating legal topic. Thanks and have a great day.